Good morning, Gateway family. Man, that was awesome. I love, these are all my, my family with the dudes over here, the Watley crew, but I love hearing the flute and the trombone. That little addition, that was great. Ira, we love you always, you know, it's like, but uh, anyway, I just love hearing the horns and all of that, but uh, you ready to continue to see the wonder of God? We've been singing about it this morning, we've been experiencing it throughout the whole service, and it's just an honor and privilege to be able to encourage you guys this morning to share um, in the book of James. And while I'm going to give a little review, let's turn to James chapter 1 in your Bibles or get on your tablets or phones, whatever device you have to see God's Word. As Greg has been mentioned the past few weeks, the letter of James is written to Christians, the body of Christ, specifically to the 12 tribes, the Jews who are dispersed all over the world. And so the heart behind it, as you see up there, is how do we live this life? How do we walk in faith? Practical aspects of Christian conduct, how faith works in our everyday life. And obviously the Christians that he's writing to at this time, spread all over the world, were in societies where there's a lot of paganism. They're living in cultures where there's idolatry and false gods and all these sorts of things. And so James is encouraging the body of Christ, and obviously with us, um, on how to live, how to walk this faith life out in the midst of this environment. I mean, right out of the gate, as we heard... You know, in the beginning, he says, have joy when you encounter trials. Not if, but when you encounter trials, when you go through tough times, knowing these things will test your faith. And then in turn, it's supposed to produce endurance. It's supposed to produce things in us to help persevere under trial. And Grady talked about last week, the biggest hindrance and the problem in this life, thus walking this out this way, to walk out the sanctification process, um, as he talked about dealing with temptation, is ourselves. It's us of us being carried away and being enticed by our own evil desires, our own lusts, dealing with our own flesh. And so James is encouraging them back then. Obviously, some issues were going on about putting some blame on God or putting some things before him that weren't due, saying, let no one say that when someone's tempted, that you're being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And what I love about what James is doing here, just the first 17 verses, you know, we're seeing two verses today, is James is laying some amazing foundational truths about who God is. Even though it's about how we're to live this life and walk it out, how many of us know in this room, there's no way we can walk out the way we should and walk out in the sanctification process in life without knowing first who he is in his nature, in his ways. Because if not, then who are we going to trust? Who are we going to put our faith in? How are we going to endure, as James says? How are we going to persevere under trials until we know who God is rightly? And as I do all the time with my glasses, that we put on proper lenses to see who God is in this day and age and what the word says and how we walk this out. So what we're going to see today is this awesome transition from the last week where Grady talked about and God revealed through James through the spirit here that God cannot have anything within himself that's evil or be tempted by evil because God is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. And so right here from verse 15 into verse 16... James has a little transition. And how many of you have seen, I hope you've gone back and read James 1, but many of the theologians and commentaries that I know Grady has given me and we're reading through, James is kind of hitting some bullets. There's not a lot of flow <laughs> in this first 17 verses. He's kind of like, something comes to mind, the Holy Spirit, okay, boom, I want you to know this. Okay, boom, I want you to know this. But from 15, from 13 through 17, there is a flow, there is a connection here, a little hinge that God is revealing for us to connect, and it's a contrast. And so James is bringing this contrast from verses 15 into verse 16 to reveal again and to show 
the beauty and the nature of God. So if we'll please stand in the honor of reading God's word. We're going to read these two verses. This week, I, we are going to be reading from the New American Standard. It's just my study Bible and one that I use. And also, I just love the phrasing here in the Greek as we're going to highlight something here of what they reveal. So James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. James says here, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these two verses. Again, like we do so often, Lord, just this doesn't have to be a lot of words to bring so much truth. And there's so much power, so much wisdom in these words. And God, I pray as we share your word today and you enlighten us. And Holy Spirit, you would come as teacher and bring conviction and revelation and that we can see you rightly and clearly. And a couple things are going to be highlighted here, Lord. Two aspects of your nature, your attributes that are so critical that we embrace and understand rightly, God, because it can so lead us astray. We can be so enticed and led astray by having the wrong worldview. So I pray, God, again, speak to us clearly. May your Holy Spirit come and teach and govern our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. May be seated. So again, James is saying here, a little shift. So don't mention that God can tempt anyone. He's not evil. There's no evil in him. Coming out of this aspect that when lust gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death, and then just right out of there, there's a switch, a little change and transition in tone. Verse 16, James tells us, tells the church, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So there's a warning. This is a warning. This is a little, has a little serious tone to it. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. But what I love about what James does here, even though there's a warning and a tone, this is the first time he ever used the word beloved in this first part of this letter to show an aspect of affection. Anytime you see the word beloved, there's a tone of a, a fatherly spirit or a mentor, a coach, or a loving aspect to it. So James is bringing a warning with a loving tone showing compassion, saying this is important, but I want you to understand it from an affectionate mindset of what my heart is for you. And right out of the gate, the part that's important is don't be deceived. That Greek word means do not be led astray, do not wander, do not be led away into error. It's coming out of the same mindset and heart of what he mentioned over there about don't be carried away, don't be enticed by your own lust. And I want to lay one foundation very clearly. We all know as we live this life and what James is saying here, we're walking by faith. We're walking in this sanctification process, seeing God rightly, understanding who he is. Because of our own lust, our own selfish ways, and the work of the enemy, Satan loves nothing more than as we're walking for doubt or confusion or all these things to seep in. And we've used this in Sunday school class, and we all know. Satan loves it when we get one degree off. You guys get that? As we're walking along, it takes one little enticement, one little thing to be led in error for us to get off track one little bit. But if you're one degree off and you continue to lead that way of wandering and belief, where do you eventually go? You're way off course into doubt and confusion, and who knows where that could lead. And I love how James is bringing that warning here. Do not be led astray. This is too important, church. Get this. Do not be led astray in error. I'm going to bring some truth to you. Don't believe that God is one who tempts, that God would bring any solicitation of evil to you. That's not who he is. He is a holy God. And so what does he bring to us? What's the shift, the transition? He's not a God who is evil. He's not a God who tempts you. He is a God, verse 17, where every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. What I love about the translation in the NAS with the original Greek, that phrase, 
every good thing given literally means every act of giving good. So what I love about this, because some of your translation says every good gift and every perfect gift, almost back to back. It sounds very synonymous, and it is. A lot of these words are very similar. But what I love about this is showing the intentionality of God. There's a differentiation here with the Greek to a point of James is saying, I want you to see the manner by which God gives and, and does things, and then the gift itself, the importance and how those two go together. So the Greek word here for good literally means useful, anything useful or anything producing. Get this, one word specifically, anything producing a beneficial effect. So one key word that we're going to hear today is this word beneficial or benefit because it has a connection between both parts of this verse, of this phrasing of every good thing given and the perfect gift that is given. So this shows the manner in which God gives, and that is directly connected to God's attribute of being good. How many of us know in this room, I've had many encounters with individuals over the years, where the, the aspect of God's goodness comes into question. You guys experience that in the day and age we live? How can God be good when this is happening? And how can God be good when this is happening? And he causes this or allows this. If, if the enemy can get in there and cause any doubt or any minute one degree off of God's goodness, then he's got a hook enough into people to truly lead them to a point of not understanding who God is at all. And they are way off course of understanding who he is in his nature. Let's look at uh, three verses that are very familiar just to lay some t- uh, foundation with this. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good, teach me your statutes. Psalm 100, verse 5, for the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. James 1.5, right back with what we did last week. I love that it was in here in the beginning. James' heart was already going this direction in the beginning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all what? He gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I mean, right out of the gate there, James is saying, this is God's heart. This is his intention. This is the manner in which he operates in his nature, that he gives generously. And so we have to first get that understanding in us to be able to understand the rest of 17 and what James is trying to communicate to us. So a foundational truth that God's intentions in giving completely in all respects is for our benefit in him. Do y'all hear that little last two words? <laughs> our benefit, not in what we think, because how many times do we live this life, our definition sometimes of what is good and God's definition sometimes of what is good is what? Polar opposites. And we've got to come into the mindset of understanding, seeing God's goodness and what he gives out of that from the perspective of a kingdom mindset, a heavenly perspective than what we think the definition should be for us. So we need to view God's intentions and in giving for our benefit in him, for his purposes. And here's an example of that in Matthew. This relates to prayer, but it shows God's heart. <clears throat> and that's the reason I love this so much. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, That's all of us. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Y'all see God's heart here? Leave that up for a second, Ethan. I love the fact that even how Jesus started out by saying, if you then people, people around me, if you human beings, being evil, and again, he's not trying to use a cruel thing. He's going back to what Grady talked about last week. If you then people who are carried away and enticed by your own flesh, carried away by your own lustful desires, your own selfishness, which we all are, that's us, in our nature. If you guys being that way know how to give good gifts, things that are beneficial to your children from a heart that's like that, how much even more so than is your Father in heaven going to give what is good to you for those who ask him? And what I love about this, what did Jesus use as the example for the question, if you ask for a what? A loaf? And ask for, what's the other thing? A fish. Hmm. Loaf and a fish. He didn't say, if you want a new boat to go out on Lake Galilee or Sea of Galilee, or I want a new camel or a new donkey. You know, what was he expressing there? A need, a life-giving need, a benefit for you to live and survive. God is saying, as you ask for the needs that I want to provide for you, a loaf or a fish, and we're not going to give our kids something that's not to their benefit to sustain them, to provide provision and food. And that just shows, again, that God's heart for us is to give even greater gifts, good gifts to us, even more than we as human beings would want to desire to give to our children. And that's just a great principle to think. I mean, God never promised to give us our wants, right? If our desires are pure and right, we submit things to the Lord. Sometimes as a father, he blesses us with those things. But God's heart for us is to give us what benefits us in him for his purposes. And we're going to see that in a minute. So I love these foundational truths. And this is what James is looking at here. He's saying every good thing given, every benefit given by God, everything that's useful from him is given. And how does he describe it? The next part, as a perfect gift. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. The Greek word perfect here is also mentioned earlier in verse 4. Over here where he says, And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's literally three, I mean, it's almost like synonym, synonym, synonym. James was trying to hone in that whatever God provides, whatever he gives, the perfect result is complete, complete, complete. You lack nothing in what God provides for you. Whatever that object is given, it is fully perfect, complete, and whatever you receive, you need nothing else. You lack nothing in what he wants to give. That Greek word gift is a multiple synonyms throughout the New Testament. The Greek word dorama and doma and dorea. And I love it. These are the three primary uses and what it means. And they all apply to us and apply to this verse. One aspect, it means bounty, something given generously. We just talked about that, where God says, ask and I will generously give you wisdom. Is wisdom to our benefit? Yes, because true wisdom means we see ourselves rightly in view of who we see God is rightly. That's wisdom. And so that's a bounty. It's something given to us. Here's this word again, this benefaction. It is a benefit conferred. And the last one here that I love, and it applies more specifically to this Greek word, is gratuity. This perfect gift, this complete, perfect gratuity, meaning something given voluntarily and without obligation. That's how our Father works for us. How many of you as fathers have given to your kids a lot of times, I'm going to give this to you, but I better get something back. 
I mean, or I'm going to give this to you, in turn, you better obey. Well, that's just manipulation and sin, right? I mean, that's not wrong. That's not the, way, the heart of God. The heart of God here is giving for a benefit or for usefulness to receive nothing in return, just out of his love and grace and mercy for us. And that's what this perfect gift is. It's the mindset James is saying, we do not serve a God who tempts us, who is tempted by evil, but we know and serve a God who is good and who gives gifts that are complete and he gives things to us where we lack nothing in him. He provides all that we need. And then how does he describe where these beautiful, wonderful gifts from? How does he describe, again, another attribute of God's ways to affirm this? I love how he expresses this. Verse 17 again. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's the only time this is used in all of Scripture. This is significant. Why would James use that imagery? Why would James use that title here? Father of lights. So the first part is this example of it coming down. There's a heavenly perspective that these gifts, that these benefits... The heart of God is a coming down upon us from a heavenly realm perspective. And this phrase, this title, Father of Lights, actually comes from a Jewish prayer. It's a Jewish expression from a prayer that, again, shows up nowhere else in Scripture. And it's this wonderful, beautiful, these these Jews that would have been reading this, these Christian Jews, would have quickly, immediately understood that James was referring to the sovereign creator of the sun, moon, stars, and planets. That's what the lights are here. That the father aspect would be, this is the God of the universe, the sovereign creator of all things. And that would have been their first mindset to go there, to understand what he's trying to communicate. Another attribute of God's nature and his ways to affirm this. And remember, guys, James is laying foundations here in this first part of this letter because we're going to get into a whole bunch of other things. That if you don't understand God rightly and understand his nature and his ways, the rest of this stuff is not going to be easy to embrace. Some of these challenges that are coming and these words that are coming that are going to be kind of tough and and challenging for the church. And so coming out of this, even the phrase here, the Greek words coming down from the father of lights, that present tense participle here suggests there's a continuous and repeated action that shows how God continuously lavishes his gifts upon us. It's a continuous thing. It's a mindset that this God who loves us, who is holy, who is good, continues and continues to want to give us good gifts, to bless us with things that are benefiting to us in him. And the reason he used this Father of Lights example was to connect it with the last phrase. I'm going to finish these things and then give a personal testimony for application. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, the sovereign creator of the universe, the sovereign creator of the sun, moon, and stars, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James specifically, obviously being led by the Holy Spirit, For God to reveal himself in this way, laying another amazing truth out here. They would have understood that as these lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, and then using this word that there's no variation or shifting shadow. Variation here is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. This specific term for what it represents 
with the dynamic of celestial bodies. Variation means a change in phase or orbit, where celestial bodies like the sun, moon, stars have different phases of movement and rotation, change from day to night, intensity and shadow. And one aspect of the word variation, which I love, in big quotes in the Greek, is fickleness. That there's no, very, there's no fickleness with God. I mean, even something that simplistic speaks volumes to who he is and his nature and his person for us. I love when Grady is up here sometime to say, thank God we don't have to be concerned every day on how God, you know, he doesn't wake up, but how he's going to be today. What mood is he going to be in? What emotions are he going to express, depending on what we do? He's not fickle in that way. And what this is revealing, and it's incredible that James is doing this, in just 17 verses, he is revealing to the church, to us, that God is a God of holiness, that God is a God of goodness, and that God is unchanging. Three major, huge foundational truths about who God is in his person to lay these foundations for the body of Christ to be able to move forward in these pagan societies and how to live life on this earth. Let's look at these verses, just as a few of these, to lay this foundational truth. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are consumed. This is Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And the last one for the New Testament, we all know this and quoted, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what James is saying here, that God who is good, you don't have to be concerned, is he going to always be good? Is he going to change his mind? Is he going to change his ways? Is he going to be good sometimes and other times he'll be fickle and maybe be a little different than that? What James is saying here, he is constant. He is faithful. The theological term is the immutability of God. And I want to put this little commercial and plug in. When Grady first got here back in 17, a few months into it, we did a Bible study on Wednesday nights on the attributes of God. And I hope I don't step out of line because maybe a little bit of work, but we'll work on it. But if you want those notes, (laughs) I'm serious, this is so important. There is nothing more than you can do. The best benefit of your life is to take time to get to know God. And obviously it's reading his word, but getting specifically to know him in his nature, the essence of who he is. Because in those moments, you're going to be able to understand and see. Sometimes it'll blow your head. I mean, literally, you'll go poof. Sometimes he's so incomprehensible, you you can't fully grasp it. But we have these notes. We have them available. I made a binder for myself. I went and looked at some of these things even this week. If you're interested in getting that, I will make it for you. We will have it available. Maybe we can put it on the website. But get to know God in his nature. There's, I'm serious. There's nothing more important on planet Earth for you to grasp and understand through reading his word of getting to know him in his person. Because what James is saying here, when you feel like God is a God who can tempt you, that God is a God who can be impacted by evil, that God is a God who maybe is only sometimes good, that God maybe over time, like we're experiencing today, where this moral relativism, that morality is only relative based on the culture, morality is only relative based on what I feel and my emotions, that God changes through the times and over the decades and millennia. That's what people think. I have family right now that think God does things differently today than he did back then. Why? Because it's just what they feel. Because it's the way the culture looks like, the way the world operates. That's a lie from hell. 
And if we grasp that and believe that, we certainly aren't going to be able to walk in faith properly and walk the sanctification life out the way God intended, and it will cause doubt and confusion, misconceptions, and it could lead to destruction. That's why these verses, as much as we've quoted them and put them on banners and everything else, are so important because it reveals God's nature. And we've got to embrace that and understand it fully as best we can to be able to walk this out the right way. I love uh, Augustine or Augustine or however you want to pronounce his name, the old Bishop of Hippo. I want to read you this quote from over a thousand years ago. He said, You, my God, are supreme, utmost in goodness, mightiest and all-powerful, most merciful and most just. You are unchangeable, and yet you change all things. You are never new, never old, and yet all things have new life from you. You're ever active, yet always at rest. You gather all things to yourself, though you suffer no need. You support, you fill, and you protect all things. You create them, nourish them, and bring them to perfection. You seek to make them your own, though you lack for nothing. You love your creatures, but with a gentle love. You treasure them, but without apprehension. You can be angry and yet serene. Your works, oh, this is good. Get this, saints. Your works are varied, but your purpose is one and the same. I'm going to say that again. That is so critical because it has to do with God's nature, his unchanging ways. Your works are varied, but your purpose is one and the same. And the purpose of God primarily is what? For his what? Glory. He will do everything on planet Earth to put this planet and us in a posture for him to be glorified. For his splendor, his majesty, his glory, his name, his renown, to be exalted, lifted up, worshipped, honored. That's his purpose on this earth. And for us to join in with that and to glorify him and worship him. That purpose will never change. It's been from the beginning and will be with us through eternity. He continues to go on. You are my God, my life, my holy delight. But is this enough to say of you? Can any man say enough when he speaks of you? Yet woe betide those who are silent about you. For even those who are most gifted with speech cannot find words to truly describe you. And that was a little over a thousand years ago. I want to give you a, sort of a practical one that I loved by Jay Packer. He said, God controls all that happens in this world. Every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep. Every moment of health and safety, everything else that sustains and enriches life is a divine gift. And how abundant their gifts are. They're abundant, saints. They're beyond measure, they're beyond description. Some of the ones that God specifically mentions in scriptures is the gift of righteousness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of grace, the gift of eternal life. We receive spiritual gifts. But everything related to divine giving is adequate, complete, and beneficial. So I want to keep going back to that word. As we see God and we experience him and we read his word, and, and that's why I love that James started with trials. That James started with that we have to persevere and we're going to suffer. We're going to engage with tough times on this earth. That he starts there because then, starting there saying, it's going to happen, guys. It's not if but when. Then he comes and undergirds that with who God is so we can endure through those things. And as thinking about gifts and that beneficial aspect, I've just never, even as I was studying this week, seeing the goodness of God and, and that Greek word meaning to produce a beneficial effect, 
to the object or the individual it's given to just reminded me of some things that I've gone through recently in my own life. I mean, my own personal testimony surfaced with this because October 24th at 3.53, right here, I got a gift from God. And it was a heart attack. Right here. God changed my life through a gift of me almost dying. And that's how I take that verse. I sat right here, sweating profusely, heart about to come out of my chest. By God's grace, that man walking through those doors and God granted me a beneficial gift to change my life through me almost dying in that chair. That's my testimony about this verse, that every good gift, that everything God gives transforms and changes me. I wouldn't have known that I had a bad heart unless that happened. He used that act to reveal my heart had a problem, which I would have never known, only functioning at a certain capacity. But God's benefit for my life and for my family, for me to be aware of that, and for God to reshape my life and disciplining about my eating habits and exercise and a litany of things. Part of my testimony is that every good and perfect gift from God happened right there in that chair through me almost dying. And that's going to be a part of my testimony till I do go or he returns. But that's how I take that verse, that the God who is good, the God who's unchanging, the God who is faithful and trustworthy, the God who is holy and righteous and just, allowed me to experience something right there for my benefit, for his glory. That I can share and say, God saved my life. And he allowed an opportunity to reveal something in me I would have never known about a physical problem I had. That was a gift. And so many of us, gifts are going to come in different shapes and sizes and packages and everything else. But my heart for you this morning, as James is, is to know and understand the God who gives them. Not the gift itself, but the nature and the person of the God who bestows those gifts. Because if we understand that and and can be able to rest in that and fall back and rest in who he is, then what he gives and what we go through, we'll be able to what? Receive with grace and mercy and trust and faith. We'll be able to endure through these things. God revealed so much after that event, sitting in the hospital and him just speaking and pouring over me and me just keeping the thing. Thank you, God, for saving me, for saving me, for saving me, for orchestrating the event, for Grady to come in the way he did and everything that played out. God held my heart in his hand in a manner of speaking for 50 minutes as it was beating at 242 beats. For 50 minutes. I shouldn't be here. But God's gift of grace and mercy and protection sustained me. And that's how I take this. One aspect, there's so much to this verse. It covers God's, again, what J.I. Packer just said, it covers every aspect of our lives, whatever we receive from God. My beautiful wife, my children, my job, me being able to serve you here. All of those are gifts that God has given me. And I praise him for that and I worship him for that. And that helps me stay the course as I worship and thank him for the gifts he's given me, but even more so to understand and worship and honor the God who gave them and knowing him rightly in that. And that's what we get to experience on a daily basis and what we can get through those tough times and those times we experience things and question, God, why did this happen? Or why is this going on? Or how am I going to get through this? Go back to who he is. Go back to who he is. And God can handle your doubt, guys. Amen? He can handle your questions. He can handle your struggle. He can handle your emotions and get, he, he's big God. But knowing his heart is good for you and beneficial for you and wants what's best for his glory 
to be conformed in you. That's what I love about Romans 8. We use it all the time. We quote it. That God is wonderful. That God causes all things. All things. Right? The Greek word all means all. Everything for that we experience. God works all things together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to a purpose. For those whom he got foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his purpose for us. CJ had a heart attack on that row to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you guys see that? That's why we experience these things. So that my story, giving him glory and honor, that I can point to Jesus and trust Jesus, that my life is conformed with mercy and grace, to be conformed to his image, to look to Christ for everything. That's why he does what he does, out of a heart of goodness and love, for our benefit, for his glory. And the greatest gift of all, as we know, the greatest gift is why we're in this room. The greatest gift is himself. He sent him, God sent his son. He came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what the beauty of this table represents. He came to live the perfect life we couldn't live. He came to become his own creation. Just sit on that, guys, for a while. Just go meditate on the incarnation and stay on your face for a few hours. Worshiping the Lord, knowing he came so that we may have eternal life, so we may live, so that we may be brought from death to life and darkness to light. That's why we're in here, because of the gift of his son, the gift of Christ himself. God came to us. And that's why even seeing this every good and perfect gift, you know, as he was revealing this, James probably want to say, just don't forget that, the greatest gift. The greatest gift he offers us is justification, redemption, being reconciled back to him through the work of the cross. And that's why I love this verse so much. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is holy. God is good. God is unchanging, constant, and faithful. And we get to celebrate the perfect expression of that, of his sacrifice, of what Jesus came to do by having his body broken, his blood shed for us. The gift of eternal life that can only come, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the salvation that comes only through one person, Jesus. He's the hinge of it all, guys. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through Jesus And the reason we do this, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, he said, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming salvation today. We're proclaiming resurrection today, ascension today, lordship today. We're celebrating who he is as a holy, good, faithful God. But I love how he adds this. For as often, um, here it is. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be Guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks and eats 
eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. We must come to the table in a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. We come asking the Lord to forgive us, to cleanse us, to purify us. If there's anything that we need to examine and say, God, work on my heart. Somebody may have an ought or someone else in this room. There may not be reconciliation. You need to work on, go and ask for forgiveness, reconcile. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. Ask God to work in your heart. But we are here to celebrate God's grace, the ultimate gift of grace and mercy and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And there may be some in here today. I know maybe the first time or many you're here visiting. As we've talked about this God who is holy and just, this God who is good and unchanging and faithful. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I ask you, this is for those that just believe. These are for followers of Christ. But if you're one who is here seeking, if you're asking, if you're with a friend, ask God right where you're sitting, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I've heard that you're good and just and holy and unchanging. Make yourself known. I I don't understand. I doubt you. I've never believed it. Make yourself known to me today. He will. He will reveal himself. If you're with a friend, ask questions. Ask somebody you're with here today. Talk about this. But for those of you that are believers, that if you're followers of Christ, we ask that you would just ask the Lord to search your heart, to examine yourself and see what the Lord desires to reveal before you come forward. We're going to have a deacons come forward and the worship team will come first. And let me pray for us as they're doing that. God, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your gift of salvation, your gift of love and your gift of grace. God, that you offer us voluntarily. And I love the definition of that without obligation that you do it because you love us and because you desire to receive glory and honor and receive the reward of your suffering. God, I pray more than anything else this morning, even as we celebrate this table, this cup and this bread, God, that we would know you rightly, that if we have questions about your ways, your nature, your just the essence of who you are, God, that we would dive in and ask questions and study and read and get with other folks and talk about you and just reveal yourself, God. We want to know you rightly. There's so many misconceptions and lies and things the enemy's doing across the landscape right now. False truths and false gospels and idolatry and so many things going on. And as we come to celebrate this table, here's the one truth. You came to save. You came to seek and to save that which was lost. You came to destroy the works of the enemy. You came to reconcile and restore. And we thank you that we get to celebrate that this morning. Make yourself known to us a good, holy, just, unchanging God who is faithful we can trust wholly. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have a glue.